0: let's pray. Lord, we thank you for again bringing us together this morning. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for this, your house. We're gathered here to worship and praise your name. We pray that that, that could be our experience. Let's especially, Lord, now He preaches from your word. May you do so under the power and direction of your Holy Spirit, and may our hearts receive your word with gladness. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. May we see you. Greetings in Christ's precious name this morning. Welcome to our time of worship here again today. As we sang that last song, um, that's quite a song of commitment, and sometimes it's easy to spend our time of singing and just sing familiar songs and not really think about deeply about what we're singing, but that song was a song that really Showed our commitment to Christ. We'll be committed to him till the end. Till the end of our life. And our time of singing here is what inspired the message for today. A few weeks ago, we were singing a song. And I can't even remember the title of the song. But there was a phrase that really jumped out and grabbed my attention that day. The phrase was, he is my king. And it was probably like a normal Sunday morning you're singing along and for some reason this phrase really jumped out at me and grabbed my attention you know sometimes there's you know things in life that you're just cruising along and and God really grabs your attention with with something this was one of those times and it really caused me to stop and consider the implications of that statement the statement that he is my king that Christ is my king Do I really believe that Christ is my king? What does that mean for me and my life? So this morning I want to explore that um, thought for, for a few moments here together. You know, oftentimes when we think of Jesus, we often think of him as our Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend, like we just sang. And while those things are true, he's also much more than that. He is the supreme ruler of all. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as we read in Revelation 17, 14. So I want to just meditate on the thought this morning of Jesus as the King. And I want to start out by reading a passage of scripture from the book of Zechariah. And I've broken it into a few sections this morning. And the first one I want to consider, and in one I will spend more time on than some of the others is the coming of the king prophesied so we'll look at prophecy and what the old testament prophet had to say about jesus coming as a king and to set up his kingdom here on earth so if you care to you can turn to the book of zechariah is i'm going to be reading from chapter nine Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. It reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the full of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from river even unto the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn ye to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even to the day do I declare that I will render double unto thee. When I have bent Judah for me, Fill the bow with Ephraim, and raised up the sons of Zion against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man, and the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God will blow the trumpet, and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall, be, shall defend them, and they shall be, shall devour and subdue with the sling stones, and they shall drink and make a noise as through wine, and they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as the stones of the crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine, the maids. So here the prophet Zechariah is foretelling the coming of Jesus and his kingship. He's coming, he's telling the victory of Christ's kings. And these words were prophesied about a thousand years before the people of Jerusalem saw them being fulfilled. Tragically, many of the Jews did not recognize Jesus for who he was. They failed to realize that this was the Messiah that was promised for so many years. They had longed for this Messiah, and yet when he walked among them, he was despised by them. And that's a sobering lesson for us today. As we consider that, we can be so set in our way of thinking that it blinds us to the truth. The Jews had this picture in the mind of how the Messiah would come, and they failed to recognize him when he did come. So I want to look at, especially verse 9 and verse 10 here, as we look at this scripture. This passage of scripture reveals how glorious this king would be. And it shows the attributes of his kingdom. And the first one I want to look up at is he will rule with justice. In verse 9 it says he, sh- he is just. And, you know, in this world we are very well aware that in spite of our best efforts, we fail to pr- to deliver perfect justice. Now our justice sh- sh- falls short because we fail to know all the details and nuances of a situation we misunderstand what is communicated to us and therefore we struggle to deal with others justly but Jesus knows everything he knows all the small details and even the intentions of our heart and therefore he can rule justly we don't need to fear that Jesus will misunderstand us and our situation or make the wrong call he understands it all and that also means that we cannot deceive him you know, there's times that the wool can be pulled over the justice system's eyes, but we can't do that to Jesus. You know, there's other kingdoms in the world. They fight propaganda battles. They put out false information to deceive the other kingdoms. But with Christ, that it doesn't work. He rules justly because he is able to see the whole picture. Secondly, his kingdom will bring salvation, and salvation is preservation from destruction. Jesus came to preserve us from eternal destruction. You know, he came so that instead of us facing failure and ruin in our lives, we could instead be built up on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And Luke, or the book of Luke, chapter 7, Jesus speaks about this. As he's coming to the close of the Sermon on the Mount... He talks about two men, a wise man and a foolish man. And the wise man was the man that built his life upon the rock of Jesus Christ and his teachings. You know, to build a structure that stands strong throughout the years takes a lot of careful thought and planning. And it must be built on a well-prepared site. It's not done haphazardly or by taking shortcuts. And I'm sure some of you know that better than, than I do as you're builders and I'm not. But it takes careful planning, and so a fruitful life does as well. It doesn't happen by chance, but as a result of wise choices. And Jesus has come and given us those tools as he lived here, as he taught and preached on the earth. He gave us the tools and the opportunity to receive salvation and to build upon his foundations. But he also speaks about the foolish man who chose to ignore the teachings that he had delivered to the people. And that man is a man that builds his house in a precarious place. He builds it on the sand. And I think what Jesus was referring to when he spoke about this parable was they're, you know, they're in a dry environment. And if you've ever watched um, videos of a flash flood, it can be look like a flat, nice you know, spot that you could build a house or something but in a few moments, it can be a raging river. And I think this is what Jesus was referring to in, in their culture as the foolish man builds his house in one of those locations. And the rough times, the storms come along, and his house is washed away and destroyed. So let's build our house on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and receive salvation through him. His kingdom, In his kingdom, he will also rule with humility. It talks about Jesus being humble here in verse 9. Earthly kings tend to have big egos, but not Jesus Christ. He was very humble. He says he tells us that he is meek and lowly. You know, even as the creator and king of the universe, he did not demand his privileges when he walked among men here. And we can see that and display as he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He came riding into Jerusalem on this colt of a donkey. And I think that shows Jesus' humility very well. His choice of a ride was an expression of his humility. Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and that confirmed that he was a king. He rode into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. But instead of making his entry into Jerusalem on a majestic horse, as many kings would do, he chose the donkey instead. And I think there's a few points of significance in that. Donkeys were seen as a lowly work animal, whereas horses were majestic, powerful animals that signified war. Donkeys would be seen as an animal of peace, working in your fields, being productive, whereas horses portray war, and destruction. And we also read about the coming of Jesus and how his kingdom would help people turn their plows and their swords into plowshares, going from war and battle into peaceful, life-giving work. And we see Jesus teaching this, this concept in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about being peacemakers. He calls the peacemakers blessed. He calls the merciful blessed. He calls his followers to turn the other's cheek instead of hitting back, to bless those that curse, to pray for our persecutors. He calls the people of his kingdom to be people of reconciliation and healing, not strife and war. You know, the world has seen enough of that approach to know that it doesn't work anymore, and now Jesus introduces a better way. And we have many examples today of how, again, that is not working. It just continues the cycle of violence and hatred. And lastly in this section I want to also look at he speaks peace to the he, to the heathen and the gentiles. You know, as we read through scripture we also see the animosity that was between the gentiles and the Jews. And here Jesus Zechariah is prophesying that Jesus will bring peace unto the heathen and to the gentiles. It says that his kingdom will be from from sea even unto sea, and from river even unto the ends of the earth. It's prophesying that Jesus' kingdom will encompass the whole world. It will go far beyond the bounds of the Israeli nation. The people of Israel saw the coming of this Messiah as deliverance from the Romans or whoever they were under oppression at the moment. But this king was going to be so much more than that. You know, if Christ had come simply to deliver deliver them from a nation such as Rome, that would have only been a temporary deliverance. We see Israel's previous history, how that God would deliver them from an invading nation and only to see them fall back into sin again and this cycle would repeat itself. They would again be invaded and God knew that mankind needed something better. They needed something better than just being delivered from their neighboring nations. God had something much better in mind. He knew that we needed deliverance from the bondage of our own sin. You know, much of the Old Testament writings show God's focus being with Abraham and his descendants. But we see numerous times throughout prophecy how that there was a time coming when the kingdom of Christ, the people of God, would encompass all the earth. like I said, his dominion would be from sea to sea to see, in, as it says in verse 10. And we see in the New Testament how that the unbelief of the Jews and the people of Israel, through that they would be cut off and the Gentiles will be crafted into the family of God. Now the people of God are not decided by our race, but it's by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All are welcome to be a part of God's family. In Galatians 3, 28 paints a beautiful picture it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male nor female for you are all in Christ in Christ Jesus we have all been made one so for a little bit now I want to think about the king among us Jesus life here on earth and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because this is pro- probably a part that we're most familiar with in because of time this morning but just a few thoughts of and Jesus living among us as we think about the um, gospel of Matthew we quickly see that Jesus was recognized and acknowledged as a king Jesus is introduced as a king in Matthew 2 as the wise men came from the east to, to worship him these wise men knew that something special had happened and they were coming to find this king that was born and they wanted to worship him and they came looking for this king Matthew 2 1 through 2 reads, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And as they came to worship Jesus, they presented him with gifts that signified who Jesus was. They gave him gold that showed his royalty, they gave him frankincense that showed his divinity. And they gave him myrrh, which signifies his humanity. And it's interesting as we read through the Gospels how that this happens numerous times. The people who should have missed the Messiah were the people that recognized him. And the people that should have recognized him were the people who missed him. The people of Israel who had the words of the prophets in their hands failed to recognize him as he walked among them. They failed to see him for who he was. But the Gentiles and the downtrodden of society were often the ones who recognized Jesus for who he was. The Roman centurion that came to Jesus seeking healing for his servant, he recognized Jesus as a king. You know, he said, Even me, as a centurion, as a man with authority, I am not worthy to have you in my house. So he was a Roman commander, and yet he realized that. Jesus was far above him. He realized the kingship of Jesus, and he acknowledged Jesus for who he was. And this faith that this Roman centurion displayed caused Jesus to marvel. It says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east, and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of he- of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here we see Jesus confirming what Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah nine in our, our beginning text. He says people will come from the east and the west, and as we think about the east from the west, that shows us there is no bounds. If we think in north and south. Eventually, we come to the end of north and south, but east and west shows us that there is no bounds to Jesus' kingdom. As we follow Jesus throughout his life, we see him bringing healing to the land. He showed by his life what a true king looks like. He showed what true greatness is, and he demonstrated by his action that the greatest in his kingdoms are those who serve. They are the servants. So as, as, we look, as we get into the, further into the message, we'll look at being priests and kings with Christ. And that is how we do that, is through service. As we think of reigning along with Christ, it is a life lived in service to others. And also briefly, thinking about his death and resurrection, I think about the king triumphs. And it was no coincidence that the placard placed on the cross identified Jesus Christ as the king. It seems it was put there intended to mock Jesus, but it actually proclaimed to the world who Jesus really was. The instrument of death that was intended to bring an end to his reign was the, was the means by which Christ established himself as the undefeatable king. All other kings' deaths brought an end to their reign, but not so with Jesus' His death on the cross gave him the greatest opportunity to display his power. Even in his death, he was able to be victorious. And not only was he victorious, but he also granted all mankind the opportunity to be victorious. The resurrection power of Jesus established his kingdom forever. The resurrection power of Jesus not only established his kingdom forever, but has made available to all humanity the gift of everlasting life. So as we think about that, think about Jesus, his, as his life was prophesied, as his life was lived here on the earth, what does that mean for me today? What does, how does that affect me? And so for the last little bit here, I want to look at the king reigning in our hearts. And as I think about that, um, as I mentioned, I want to think about the thought of reigning with Christ, and we find that in 2 Timothy 2.12 where it reads, We who were lost and separated from Christ can now reign with him. Sorry, your suffering is not in vain. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we also live with him. If we endure hardships, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains unfaithful, for he cannot deny who he is. So here Paul was writing to to Timothy and he talks about, the, um, uses the word suffering, but I think as I looked at other translations and I looked at the Greek meaning of this word, I think endurance is, is a word that shows the meaning well here in, in this verse. Your endurance is not in vain. And it talks about dying with Christ and living with him. <clears throat> and if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. And I want to think about that thought for a minute. Reigning with Christ, and I think, as I think about the, you know the word suffering and endurance, sometimes we can think of that as being you know just being stationary, just um, sitting back and taking the suffering and enduring whatever comes. But it ha- this word has the idea of being active. We're actively engaged in enduring in the present moment. We live according to the example of our King Jesus then we can also reign with him in his kingdom and the the greek in, the greek text also gives the thought of this this reigning being in the future reigning with Christ you know as we think about that thought of enduring in the present moment for a future for a future goal my mind was drawn to the prodigal son and you know we can be like the prodigal son who consumed his goods in the moment. He didn't think about what would happen in the future. He didn't think about what the implications would be of him consuming his goods and in his inheritance in in the immediate moment. He failed to consider how his actions were going to impact his future, and he instead focused on the joys of the moment and what was convenient now. And there was happiness for him in that. You know, I'm sure he had lots of companions as You know, he came into a town with lots of money. Usually that attracts a lot of friends. We see there was a time came when the money ran out and the fun lifestyle came to an end. So I think there's a great lesson there for us. And what I want us to consider this morning is our willingness to endure, to remain steadfast for Christ in the present moment, and how that will bear fruit far beyond our imagination You know, there are many things in life today that are calling for our allegiance. Many things, some of them very good things, but they must all come in subjection to Christ. Our allegiance for the kingdom of Christ must come first. We need to have total surrender to our king. We find this in Luke 14, verses 25 to 33. It says, Now a great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, and his own life, also he cannot be my disciples. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him? Who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation asking for conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, in this passage of scripture, Jesus doesn't, sugarcoat the implications of joining his kingdom. It will be difficult for a human heart to join his kingdom. It takes emptying ourselves of all other loves and allegiance, and we must take up a cross, the emblem of death, death to our old ways so that we can become alive in Christ. This is the commitment that it takes to be a part of the kingdom of Christ. Another scripture I came across that I really like that goes well with this subject is found in Revelations 1 5 and 6 it reads and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead the prince of kings of earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen I love the picture that the apostle John gives us in this passage of scripture. There's so, many, so much packed into these few words. And he reminds us, again, of a few attributes of Jesus, who he is and what his kingdom represents. And the first one that he points out is, Jesus is a faithful witness. The words of Jesus are truth. You know, we can place our full confidence in the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, the words of earthly, king, of earthly men cannot always be depended upon. You know, most kings and rulers will craft their words to give themselves an edge and an advantage. Then at a later time, the truth becomes known and realize that they used words to manipulate. That is how many kingdoms work, unfortunately. But with Jesus, we can have confidence that his words, the words that he speaks, are true. He also points out the resurrection power of Jesus he is the first begotten of the dead. Jesus was the one who broke the power of sin and death. He was the one for us. He was the one who paved the way for us to be able to say, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? But thanks be to God who gives us, us the victory through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us all the power to be victorious over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He also reminds us that Jesus is the prince. Jesus is the prince of all the kings of the earth. Jesus is above all other kings, above all other emperors, pharaohs, Caesars, and presidents, whoever were or ever will be. You know, why would we invest time in earthly kingdoms if we can serve the true king of kings and the lord of lords? And, you know, we live in an earthly world where we can get pulled into that very quickly. We can spend a lot of time and energy trying to promote and put forward earthly agendas and kingdoms. But the earthly kingdoms are kingdoms that promote division and turmoil, and they're systems that hark back to the ways of the Old Testament. They're They're trying to bring morality through conformity. And it's a system that, again, fails to realize That true change needs to come from within. Jesus is not only the prince of all, but he is the prince of peace. And his kingdom is one of reconciliation. First of all, our relationship between us and God is restored. And then our relationship with our fellow men is restored. And this is in a sharp contrast to what we see all other kingdoms bring about so for us to invest our energy in any other kingdom than that of christ is opposing the principles of his kingdom he's also a loving savior and herein lies are the key to our entrance into the kingdom of heaven his love for us you know if if not for the love of jesus christ we would have no hope of being a citizen of the king of christ's kingdom in the kingdom of christ there's no sin and no corruption. You know, shortly after God created the world, Adam and Eve fell into sin. And thereby we inherited their sin. We inherited the tendency to sin. Adam and Eve violated the directions given to them by God, and sin entered the picture. Sin had separated mankind from God, and something needed to be done to reconcile our relationship with him. There's also cleansing power in his blood. You know, as I mentioned, sin cannot be a part of his kingdom. As descendants of Adam and Eve, we have inherited that sinful tendency. You know, Romans 3 reminds us how all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was a gulf between us and God that was impossible for us to bridge because of our sin. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus built a bridge across that gulf he has made it possible for us to receive the gift of a clean heart and entrance to his kingdom but we need to have the faith we need to have faith and cross the bridge in order for us to enter in his kingdom we need to have faith and step out and cross that bridge in order for the kingdom of god to become a reality for us we can talk about the bridge we can believe it exists But until we step out in faith, it is not a reality for us. And what Jesus has done for us has been in vain. The work of Jesus Christ is in in vain as long as we lack the faith to receive what he has done for us. And last week, Lester did a great job in laying out the simplicity of the gospel and how we cannot add or take away anything to that gospel. And then the final point I want to consider in this passage is Kings and priests with him, in his kingdom. You know, through Jesus, because of his love, because of his death, because of his shed blood, we now have the privilege of becoming kings and priests in his kingdom for his purposes and for his honor and glory. Notice again how Jesus' kingdom contrasts other kingdoms. You know, our king, he gave his blood as a sacrifice for his subjects. He provided deliverance and salvation for his people in other kingdoms, the subjects give their life for their king. And as we think about the current conflicts in the world, you know, we think about Ukraine and the ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine. The subjects of these countries are pawns in the hands of their kings. You know, in Israel, at the age of 18, there's a mandatory military service. And also at a recent gathering of believers in Pennsylvania, there was a man present who had fled his home country to escape forced military service. These people are being forced to go out and fight for their king. But Jesus has fought the battle to bring deliverance of us, to us. And as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, the battle has already been won. Jesus has fought the battle for us. Now we have the privilege of serving alongside him in his kingdom because of his sacrifice for us. Not because of what we have done, but what Jesus has done for us. You know, I think if we can get a hold of that glorious reality, we can say with the Apostle Paul that presenting our lives a living sacrifice is the only re- reasonable response to that. Too often we think of the gospel as our deliverance from eternal death and punishment, and I've been guilty of believing that and living that way mentality for too long. And while there deliverance from death and destruction is definitely a result of the gospel— that way of thinking is focusing on myself and it's not serving Christ for who he truly is when we look at Jesus for who he really is and what he has been willing to do for us then we can serve him with joy we serve him not because of fear but because of love and that changes our whole perspective of life and my prayer is this morning that we could serve our king with joy and gladness let's bow our heads for a word of prayer Father in heaven, we bow before you again at the close of this service, and we thank you for allowing this opportunity to come together as believers in you, and that we can worship you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I just pray that as we live our lives here in this community, that that would show forth in our lives that we could be people of peace and reconciliation, that we could show forth the glory of your kingdom. We just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.